welcome to Crazy Bird Podcast. I'm your host, Violeta Kaminska, and today I'm with a wonderful guest, Minga Opazo. Hello, Minga. How are you? Hi. Good. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. And <laughs> I am in Savannah, Georgia. Where are you reporting from? I'm in Joshua Tree, California. Joshua Tree. What's the weather like right yeah. now in Joshua Tree? It's very cold in Savannah, Georgia today. It was cold this morning, but now the sun is out and it's really nice. <laughs> Sounds like a perfect weather to go for a hike or a walk. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to introduce you to our listeners, those who are not familiar with your work. So I'm going to uh, read a little bio, and then I'm going to jump right in. I have a lot of questions for you. But they are fun questions, awesome. so don't be stressed, okay? They're, they're awesome. fun questions. <laughs> it's not like a quiz at school. All right. Mingo Pazzo is a fourth-generation textile crafter who explores the relationship between climate change, contemporary textile production, and Chilean textile history and design. Born in Chile, Minga immigrated to Los Angeles at the age of 16. She completed her BFA at University of California, Berkeley in 2016 and her MFA at California Institute of the Arts, 2020. Opaza exhibited works across the U.S. and Latino America, including the Museum of Visual Art of Santiago, Chile, the Cam Gallery at Carnegie Museum of the Arts, Acre Gallery in Chicago, and the Architectural Foundation of Santa Barbara. In Los Angeles, her work has been shown at the Max Center for Art and Architecture, Dub Art Co. Gallery, and ColorArts. She has been awarded with various residency, including Banff Art Center, Acre Residency, and Haystack Mountain School of Craft, the Reef Residency, Anderson Ranch Art Center, and Mass Mocha. She recently had her work published at Art Forum and Lumzine Art Magazine. Once again, welcome to Crazy Bird Podcast, Minga. And I'm already very impressed just reading your bio. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds like Thank I would you. think you are probably about uh, 85 years old with all those accomplishments. <laughs> but uh, I can tell our listeners you're not because I can see you. <laughs> and I'm really, really impressed because you graduated in 2020 from Color Arts, right? That's yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all so. those residencies and accomplishments. I've done two residencies as an artist, and I know it takes a lot of energy to apply for residencies and get it familiar, does, you does. know, like even know yeah. which residencies would be appropriate for your art practice mm -hmm. and which you are interested in. So mm -hmm. it's another full time job or, ex, you know, overtime job to really look into that. So I'm really curious. I'm kind of jumping right in. Yeah. Because I know I have a lot of listeners who are artists or creatives, and very often my students wonder how you can even start your career. So I'm just curious how you can actually have art practice and how have you managed to accomplish so much as far as residencies, um, interviews, yeah. published. So um, how do well, you thank juggle? You. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you. How do I juggle everything? I, I have a lot of matches. <laughs> no. Um, I, I mean, first of all, I think part of my work and part of like, how I keep my practice going and I keep my motivation because as everyone is, is an artist or in the creative realm, there's a lot of like, you need to keep your motivation going because, you know, making money with with art is really hard. Um, so for me, going to these residencies is really like a huge treat for me. So I always try to go to a residency at least once a year. And applications do take a lot. It's like another mini full-time job. But right now you can see my computer. I have like 70 tabs of places that I'm looking at. Creative Capital has a really good resume of like 
all the residency deadlines of that month of the next couple months coming up mm -hmm. and I always look them up and then just like going through residencies I met so many artists and so many creative people that really helped shape my career so just like it's part of my practice so like I'm really motivated to go to residencies I think that I have more residencies than like solo shows <laughs> mm -hmm. but I think it's exciting for me because like Besides meeting like just artists, you meet musicians and writers and mm -hmm. that kind of collaboration. It only happens in person, which is really sad because of the pandemic. You couldn't have that kind of collaboration. So mm -hmm. even through the pandemic, I went to Anderson Ranch and we had all this, you know, we had to wear masks the whole time and stuff. But I still had that kind of connection with different people that mm -hmm. otherwise I would have not met that like are from New York and from Arizona and it's for me in that like crossover like now I'm in Joshua Tree and I have friends that are going to come from residencies to stay at my house and for me that's more important as a, as a practice than mm -hmm. I mean I still make work but that's right. like my priorities I guess mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I, I completely agree I think there is an intention that residencies kind of have to connect artists and to build creative community because very often I mean there are different residencies some last mm -hmm. two weeks some can last a few months. It depends, right, on a residency and the t time period you uh, get accepted for sometimes. And mm -hmm. sometimes it would be difficult to create a groundbreaking work in two weeks. Well, actually, for yeah. me, it's usually the two weeks is the time when I'm processing or I'm just observing things and the work comes later. It's because yeah. after you process something, right, and then it, yeah. it can take years to develop. I was doing residency. I don't know if you are familiar with Headlands Center for the Arts. Yeah, 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 in um, the Bay Area. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I mm -hmm. did that, and that was like you said, that was a amazing time. I did it for ten weeks, and mm -hmm. wow, I, that's you know, great. I, yes, and I had you know I got to meet artists from all over the world who were practicing different form of art, very often very different from what I do, which was really really rewarding for me. And mm -hmm. the conversations we had, not just during the day, but in the evening or over dinners, then hikes we took together, that was something that I still remember. And those conversations very often ended up somewhere in my work, not necessarily the words and the actual conversations, but the thoughts and the processing, what happened. I think. And just yeah. the experience, we are still connected now, we have social media, so even if we don't talk every day, I can see their work and I can see how work of those artists evolved. There is another connection and I can see what other residencies they do or what shows they have. There's also this kind of form of exchange that is taking place over the course of years after the residency. Yeah, and then I think that like I started doing residencies when I was really young and mm -hmm. now looking back to it, now that I'm older, I'm like, oh, wow, that person was doing that. Or you never know with the art world. And like, I think it's a lot of patience. If you have any young listeners mm -hmm. from your school, you like, I wanted, you know, get in it. And I think it's just like, five, like I went to Van five, like five years. Yeah, it's been like five years. And uh -huh. now I'm like thinking things that I did there or like critiques that I had in that mm -hmm. residency. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense now. Five years later, you know, right. I'm like, I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, like that person was like, he was right about that critique, even though I was really mad about it. You know? Right, right. So right. It's, it's kind of like, like Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like kind of looking mm -hmm. back and being like, oh, yeah, he was totally right. Right. <laughs> so it's just like kind of ending the connection. 
Yeah. The connections. And like you said, well, it takes time to look for applications, right? And go through the application process. So that part, it's exhausting, I would say, very often. It's exhausting. And also you get a lot of rejections. I mean, I have so many rejections. Right. And I think you right. just kind of take it as a grain of salt. Like you're going to get rejections. And it's just I remember like, in the oh. beginning when I was applying early on, where I, I really wanted to get to headlands, you know, and I knew how difficult it was to get to, and I managed to get in. So that gave me a lot of confidence and I was really excited, mm-hmm. but I did apply afterwards for some residencies that I didn't get into because mm-hmm. maybe there were, you know, hundreds of apl- applicants and they chose and selected five. And if I look back, like I said, looking back, I don't even know if that residency would really be the great fit for me, if I would be the right fit, mm-hmm. but it really yeah. doesn't matter today. But at that time, I remember early on, it was a bit hard because it's hard not to take it personally, right? So I think yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's important to say that, admit that, well, you know, we can have feelings when it happens, right? Because it's natural. Yeah. You want to get into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like we have, I mean, my friends have this scene. It's like, oh, no, I know the rejection down. Like, I'm going to, you like take a day to like process. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Right, <laughs> and then right. you move on. <laughs> no, exactly. And then you just move on. I mean, you, you know that if you're a true artist in your heart, you have to do work. You're not going to stop producing work because, you know, yeah. you don't accept it in residencies. I think it's really yeah. important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of, I've been doing, especially during COVID time, I've been finding ways to do projects. Usually I do my self-initiated project because I need that kind of, that's my way of escaping from the actual work I have to do too. So I I recharge, but Mm -hmm. finding those projects, I call them my residency projects, you know, imaginary residency projects, which helps me kind of create work that is not paid work necessarily, but this is what I want to do. So I think that's important. I actually got into residency two years ago. I applied to Iceland and I was accepted. Oh, that's to awesome. Go to, to two, two residencies Yay. in June and July. Yes, June in Reykjavik and month of July that's in awesome. Akureyri. And I was supposed to happen last year, but you know, COVID happened. Yeah. So that didn't happen. And then it was rescheduled for this summer, for this last summer. And I... I didn't feel comfortable, so they were very kind, and those two residencies have been rescheduled again, so I'm supposed to do them in 2022. I couldn't go there, and I was here in Savannah, Georgia. What I did last summer, I really read so much about Iceland and learned through my reading and research. And I'm jealous. I, I want to go. <laughs> yes, but I also explored certain aspects of Iceland through paintings, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting because normally I might do it after visiting a place right and doing residency Mm -hmm. but this is completely opposite i'm like i feel like i've done residency almost because i was already and i'm interested you know i was exploring an abstract way Uh through my paintings iceland i'm really curious now when i go how i will see those paintings oh yeah that's very interesting i think it's like you did a mini residency before the residency right before i went there okay so now back to you but back to you i kind of started from really and talking about residencies but let's go back to your education yeah really your education is connected directly to your art practice so you got your bachelor's degree bfa at university of california berkeley and then Mm -hmm. you got your mfa at cal art so when you were at University of California, Berkeley, what did you focus on getting your BFA? So I went to two very conceptual schools. <laughs> so there was not very, uh, it, it wasn't a craft oriented school. Both of them were kind of like more conceptual, more reading. Um, so I don't, they don't have a focus, both of them, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. I, I thought that for my MFA, I was going to go to more of like a 
craft school and then I decided to go to Calaisto. <laughs> yeah, so at Berkeley, I did a lot of pre-making, but there was not really a focus on it. And um, I started doing textiles like right at the end of my BFA. Why textiles? Why textiles? I went to Chile and I was in the styles of Chile and they have a huge, rich textile history. And I just fell in love with it. And then I came back. That was like my winter break. And then I came back the last semester and we had to do our show, like our final show. And I was lucky enough that I, I happened to have, um, there's like an honors program at Berkeley that for undergrads, they give you a studio because if you're undergrad, you don't really have a studio, but you get this like bonus if you're like in the honors program. So I had time to explore because it, it was a lot of units were just like studio units. Um, because otherwise you're reading and doing a lot of work. Um, and so I was like basically teaching myself how to weave and I brought a bunch of yarn from Chile. And I started thinking like conceptually about different ways to weave and how to like present weavings with the Chilean history and also like me living here. And I did my final show of that at Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I took, I think it was two years off for three years. And then I went to Colorado after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you focused at Colorado on textiles? Yeah, so I, I came, I went to Colorado, was crazy. <laughs> I went to Colorado as a textile artist, mostly. Most of the work that I showed to get into Colorado was a lot of weaving. I used to use this raw yarn from Chile and wove it inside, like wove it into fences and kind of did like a lot of video installations of this big yarn in different landscapes and mm-hmm. all of those yarns will disintegrate because it's all like raw material and so it's basically animal fur and then that will decompose and so that's what I came into colors with and it was very like natural colors very mm-hmm. connected to nature and then I went to colors and I went bright colors <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, used I started researching more like the textile industry itself instead of like I, I had I still have a Chilean side but I wanted to go more into like the textile industry especially because LA has a big fashion district and downtown and then I started seeing and always I always been connected to the environment and nature and then I started seeing this crazy amount of waste and crazy amount of pollution that the textile industry does and then connecting from like I come from a family of crafters a family that works with textiles forever and kind of like this very tradition and I know how much it takes to make a garment because my grandma used mm-hmm. to make them and then kind of mm-hmm. seeing just like so much waste and like mm-hmm. the whole labor that goes into it it's just you know like overpass and it's just all this mm-hmm. waste and then to me when I was doing my research it was so interesting that all the waste that we create in Europe and you know in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is shipped to Africa and Chile and when you follow the trail to Chile, it goes into the desert of Chile. And it's just like mountains and mountains and mountains of clothing that's just like pile and bury in the desert. Yeah. And all that clothing is in the same, around the same sites of this really, really rich history of textiles that we used to have in Chile. And there used to be mummies there with these beautiful textiles and now they're all gone and it's just like, this massive amount of textiles so it's just kind of this weird connection that I started working mm-hmm. with so yeah I remember reading an article 
mm-hmm. I think one of the latest articles about your work and interview with you, what really struck me, and I remember I paused reading, you talked about textiles and a pile, like you said, you know, so much waste in Chilean soil. Mm-hmm. I know it's happening, but reading it, it just made me pause. I had a visual and that, that's when it got really overwhelming and I realized that <laughs> yeah. it doesn't disappear because I don't see it, right? When I live in an urban landscape, it goes mm-hmm. somewhere. We talk about it, but then it really strikes you when you read about it. You mentioned that you have history in your family, right? When mm-hmm. it comes to textiles. And I thought about something when you were talking about it. And also how much time it takes and what it takes to create a garment. Mm-hmm. I visited Mexico City in the beginning of December. And a friend of mine took me to San Angel area. And that's how I ended up at a store with handmade garments. And mm-hmm. what I found really unique, I can't show <laughs> it to our listeners, but I can show it to you. We can this describe is a label. private Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, so this awesome. is a label. That and that's comes... how many hours it takes to make it? Exactly. And I thought oh, this is amazing. It also has a name of a person who made it. Oh, that's so cool. That's that's amazing. I wish yes, all the I, stores would do that. I wish all I thought I wish all the stores had that. Yeah. And then if you don't count like the labor that goes into just making the fabric. I mean right. and like in a textile program you you learn that of like mm-hmm. the cotton or the hemp or whatever like the natural fiber that you use yeah this label has a name of a person severiana Mm -hmm. is a name of a woman who made the dress and also that store on the wall it had pictures of women all garments Mm -hmm. were made by women so i actually saw i know what the person who made my dress looks like and it says it it took 12 hours to make Mm -hmm. that dress yeah and that's kind of like what what uh i fight against that color (laughs) If you think about it, there's a sense of in conceptual art, a lot of artists don't really fabricate their their work. They come mm-hmm. up with the concept and they come up with the idea. But if you think of a Jeff Koons, he doesn't make the Jeff Koons or a Diamond Hurt. And I was trying to have that kind of conversation because I come from a craft oriented practice of why don't, you know, artists like or Jeff Koons, like if you're in a movie and because my parents work in the movie industry, that you see everyone that works in this giant project. And it's like, why, same with stores or same with art, like why is not the crafter showcased into the work? So that was like a, a lot of our critique of why don't we, this fabricator did my work. Doesn't mean that you didn't come up with the concept. Doesn't mean that you right. can't have your name on it. But I think there's a value of like showing the crafter because the crafter has the craft to mm-hmm. make the product. So, I mean, the art piece, no product. Well, we're talking about product in the dress. So, so that was kind of like the conversation, yeah. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, talking about art, product, I mean, I'm looking at that dress as a piece of art right now. I mean, I, I loved it because of the mm-hmm. design. But then I'm looking at it, and I almost feel like this is now, it's my exhibition. I'm wearing a piece yeah. of art. Uh-huh. And this yeah. is the yeah. artist, the Variana is mm-hmm. the artist. I really have a different level of appreciation. I know mm-hmm. you can understand what I'm talking about. I'm, yeah. Some of my listeners might be wondering, like, what am I talking about? <laughs> but there's a different level of appreciation for that thing. Since we are talking about textile and environment and your art practice, when I looked at your work, some exhibitions or some installation, yeah. right? Installation, so yeah. you, you, mm-hmm. you, for example, I saw... I don't remember the name of that installation, but I know I think your whole family was involved in setting it up. It was by the ocean. 
Remember oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's called Tramar, and it's like this woven. That's the first, that's the work that I did, I, I was doing before going to Colors. So about the family, yeah, my family were like every installation or thing. I'm like always gathering cousins and my family <laughs> to help me because <laughs> I make giant work that is really heavy. And mm-hmm. I need, like, I need their, I need a lot of help <laughs> in general. Um, and, you know, my, my dad works in the movie industry and, so for me, they have the skills and they're willing to help me. So we were always like a team <laughs> in to do this stuff. But yeah, so that was the work that I was doing before. And I was basically kind of connecting myself to where the place that I lived. And I lived in Ventura at that time in California. And so I started weaving in the beach, the windbreakers. There's windbreakers at the beach. And I started weaving them with the mm-hmm. row, like wool. That also, like, mm-hmm. the whole point of the piece for me was more of the decomposition of it and kind of how anything would go back to land eventually. We can talk about the project I'm doing now that I'm trying mm-hmm. to make the clothing go to, to dirt again, but cycle of life. Mm-hmm. Talking about your family, mm-hmm. well, here's a secret I'm going to reveal. I know your family. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how I really got to know you because yeah. I, I ran into your mom. Literally, I ran, I was pulled towards your mom by my dog, who was pulling <laughs> towards your dog in Savannah, mm-hmm. Georgia. And I remember your dad talking about the installation, the big one. No, the giant ball that I made. Yeah. Yeah, the giant ball. And the, we were really laughing about it because he was telling me different steps. You all tried to take and how finally oh my god yeah it was a journey I mean everything is for me like every sculpture that I make I don't well first like you know when you think about fabrics and clothing you think of this like flowy material but really it's super heavy and when you pile it up together it just becomes heavier and heavier and the whole point of the work that I'm doing now I'm trying to show the massive amount of don't really spend that much money in materials like that's the thing in the art world because there's just so much clothing that I can use. And so the whole idea of this big ball was to use mm-hmm. the whole gallery. It was, granted, it was a small gallery. It's a six by six massive ball that is one thread of clothing just going and going and going. So my whole idea was that we're, it was on the second floor. The gallery is on the second floor. So I was like, it's okay. We're going to go through the side of the building. We're going to roll it up the stairs. I had my partner, my three cousins, and my mom and my dad helping me. And I was like, this is going to be great. We're going to roll it up the stairs. I have so much manpower. All these people are going to help me. And it didn't fit through the hallway. And so then we were like, okay. And I was like about to give up. And that's when the engineers of my project come. They called us some engineers. And my partner and my dad were like, <laughs> we're going to do this. And so we went to the bottom of it. And it was like a big open courtyard. And we left uh-huh. it through it and then put it in the gallery. And there was rumors about colors that people were like, oh, you rented a, like a lifter and like how much money you spend in that. And I was like, I did not rent it anything. <laughs> it's like, I did not hire any professionals. <laughs> They're like, oh, you like rented a lifter. People were thinking that I spent all this money. Spent a fortune. Yeah. And I was like, nope. <laughs> Yeah. Your parents sounded not only very proud of you, because obviously they are, you can tell, but they sounded very excited about your work. <laughs> yeah, they're excited about it. It's like my mom used to be a producer in Chile. And when you're a producer of like independent movies, it's more of like an excitement because there's so much going mm-hmm. on and you have to make this team together and they just get excited about doing projects and like crazy things like lifting a ball mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> on the top yeah. of it. Yeah. She, she even said that she likes to talk about to you about your ideas. Yeah, she yeah. Really enjoys it. Yeah, yeah. I have long drives in LA that I talk to my mom about all my prizes. And I'm like, what yeah. do you think about this? I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's really I think what's amazing about it that you actually have people close to your life, very important people in your life, that actually are not only interested in your work, but they understand what you do. Yeah. I mean, They're trying to understand... It's very, very important that I think it's it, very, it very is very important. And, it, and for all the artists that mm-hmm. don't have, I mean, I, I was very lucky. I was born into an artist family and I was mm-hmm. always taken into museums and galleries. And it's been kind of like, it's kind of like an obvious path. It was never a question mm-hmm. of like, what are you doing? You're never going to mm-hmm. make any money. But if you don't have that, it's very important to create your own community of people that are excited about your work and then i'm mm-hmm. rooting for you either way because right. i think it's if not who else you know <laughs> right yeah. right yeah. and then you know if you are just doing it on your own and trying even like we talked in the beginning we're trying to apply to let's say residencies right and then you start feeling rejected and you take it so mm-hmm. personally it's really hard yeah right? it's really it's important really to have hard. that community yeah but also although you were born into a family of artists you have created you have your own path Mm-hmm. you were allowed your parents allowed you to create your own yeah and, yeah you know, they were always joking like can you be a set designer and I'm like no not gonna happen <laughs> family business <laughs> not gonna happen. Yeah, but they are still you know they are still uh, in they're involved in your design yeah yeah what is that you're working on right now so right now I'm working on this mushroom project So I'm collaborating with Danielle Stevenson. She's a PhD mycologist at UC Riverside. The universe brought us together. Uh, she's uh, the partner of a professor at college. And I, before I met her, I was like kind of dabbling into like doing research because like my whole work is showing how much waste there is out there and showing it in different ways and showing how much pollution it is. And, and it's, it's great to create an awareness about how much waste is in the fashion industry and how much like textile and labor goes into it. But I wanted to kind of go beyond that and as a conceptual artist. And I was trying to figure out, like, how do I can frame that and show people that there's hope, really, because <laughs> there's not much hope mm-hmm. anywhere now in the media. And so it was just right. like, okay, like, how can I do this? And then I read this article, it happened to go in front of me, of this, this uh, scientist doing, mushroom, doing mushrooms to eat plastic. Now, that was really interesting, and I was, like, looking through it. And then I met her, and I was like, hey, I read this article, because she's a mycologist. And she's like, do you think you can do it with fabric? Because now, nowadays, if people don't know, polyester is one of the main fabric that we use in all clothing is a stretchy fabric mm-hmm. that we use in yoga pants or like nice shirts so basically it's a natural fiber mixed in plastic so it's like cotton with plastic or hemp with plastic and it's very comfortable but it's something that is going to take years and years and years and years to decompose so if you really want to be green with your clothing you should buy hemp or or cotton organic cotton organic hemp with no natural, with no like any, like you can't buy bright yellows, it has to be all natural dyes. And then when you're done using it, you throw it in your compost and it will eventually decompose, but everything else won't. And so all the other uh, works that I make, those are like big cubes with dirt in between, those will never decompose. The clothing and the brightness 
kind of goes down with the stun damage, but really that cloning is there forever. And so I was thinking, I was like, oh, can we do a recloading? Like, what happens if the mushroom will start eating the fabric? And she was like, yeah, we can totally try it. And so then that was one conversation, and life got, you know, crazy, and then pandemic, la, la, la. And then I went to the residency and this ranch, and I was like, perfect, now I have this time with, like, to do it. And so we did this Zoom like thing that she taught me how to do it. And we started doing research on it. And that's where we're at right now. So I'm introducing mycelium into my sculptures. And then mushrooms, which is the mycelium, it starts eating the clothing because it's, you know, it's a weave between plastic and cotton. And so it's easier for the mushroom to start digesting the cotton. And then it goes to the plastic after that. Sounds fascinating. Will there be an exhibition at the end? A book, maybe? Do you know what might? I I don't know. I mean, we I apply into grants to do testing. Now we can. She has lab access because she is a PhD student, so she can do some testing of how many minerals, like how toxic the mushroom is, how toxic mm-hmm. is the like dirt, the compost that we pull out. Because the idea would be that you can do this, throw it in a normal compost, and reuse that dirt. That would be like ideal, but we don't want to do that until we have enough testing of like microplastics. And all of that testing is really, really expensive. So right now we're I'm still we're still doing samples. I'm gonna meet with her. She's working in a micro remediation project in LA. So we're still collaborating, but we're not gonna do like I think the way that we wanna go towards it is to get grants so we can actually do good testing each testing is about five hundred dollars so we need like a good chunk of grants to move mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. and what the way that i'm approaching it as an artist is i'm doing sculptures with it and they're kind of like time-based sculptures that they will eventually decompose um and i had one at a show in la in october but for now that's like where we're moving forward i don't know where is the end of the project to be honest it's more of like an ongoing project right now that I'm really excited about because I'm excited conceptually about showing a solution to the problem. I'm still doing my sculptures and I'm still doing my other work, but I think the combination of both is really interesting and like in a show or something like that. But I'm not sure where it's going. I mean, we I just applied to, we applied to a residency that I haven't heard back. I'm applying to one right now. I mean, sorry, grants, grants. So to get the funding to actually do all the testing and see where it goes. I don't know. <laughs> Sounds very exciting. Yeah. I love when, you know, you work on a project and there is this openness and mm-hmm. you keep mind and eyes open and ears because you don't where you don't know exactly where it goes. So you don't control the the outcome. Yeah. 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 And I think that like if we get some good results, we can apply it to waste management projects like real ways financial projects. So it'd be interesting to see that uh-huh. cross-section with you like an artist and a scientist and uh-huh. see where we take it. Yeah. Are you going to do any resident? Do you have any upcoming residency yes. this year? So the Mass Mocha one is coming up in April. Okay. And that's two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. But I think I'm going to work in weavings in that one. <laughs> Nothing to do with the mushroom project. Yeah, but that's like the main one that's coming up. Can you remind our listeners about what was that website where 
you can find information about residencies? It's Creative Capital. It's a very big grant-based residency. I mean, it's like a grant that, you know, like the artists that are in their more like higher in their career usually get it. But they have a section that is like deadlines coming up and they do a really good job of filtrating the really good ones. My system is look through that and then I click in the ones that I'm interested on and then I do a deeper research if that mm-hmm. actually match what I'm what we're looking for or not. Yeah. That sounds all very exciting. You sound like a very busy person <laughs> and you're working on those fascinating projects. Do you ever work but I think you just actually said you do, but do you ever work on a few projects at the same time? Yeah. Has never happened? Yeah. I get bored very easily. So I can't really stick to one thing. So I do a lot of things at the same time. Right now, my life is kind of upside down. I moved out of my studio in LA and I moved to Joshua Tree and it all happened throughout the holidays. So I haven't like really like, I'm literally this week, I'm like finding my balance to like go back to work. But yeah, applications is one thing that I've always doing at the same time that I'm doing my... Right now, it's application season. Right after New Year's, all the main residencies and grants come out right now. So I usually take a dip in my like making practice and I try to apply to a bunch of stuff. And then if you don't have a show lineup, I try to have at least a, a lot of new work before the holidays done and like photographs to apply to this season and then after that I start making again so I have I have kind of had that rhythm for like three years now and I really like that rhythm and I think it's when I talk to people about it like it's application season they're like what is that I'm like just do this and then it works you know you have your system yeah yeah it's my system so yeah I usually have a weaving going on to make something that I don't have to think that much kind of like a repetitive movement I really like doing that with sculpture and applications go in different directions at the same time. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much, Minga. Yeah, it's yeah. It's been wonderful to learn about your creative process <laughs> and your practice. Before we say goodbye to each other, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, I'm going to share all that information on our website too. Can you tell us where our listeners can find more information about you and about your project? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Yes, I do have a website that I need to update. <laughs> uh, and that, that's our, that's a never ending story. Never ending story. <laughs> and it's mingaopaso.com. My Instagram is more up to date to what I do. And that is mingaopaso. And I do have a, I'm, I'm visiting lecturer at the Long Beach State uh, University and I think that's public so I will let you know if it's public if anyone wants to listen to Perfect. my work I actually just updated last night my CV and there's a bunch of links to like articles and podcasts and stuff that I've done that if anyone wants to like dive deeper in it and also I'm super open to any questions I get emails and DMs of people asking me how do you got into this residency or what is this mm-hmm. about? And it takes me a second, but I always respond. I had a lot of people help me throughout the way and I'm still 
you know, asking people for help. <laughs> like, hey. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I always give it back too. So I'm always open to anything. I'm always open to give people tips and help. That sounds wonderful. You're very supportive of the creative community. And it's like, for example, my students always have questions. And sometimes I hear they contact an artist, but they never hear back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. I always try to like keep up with it and try to respond. And sometimes like, I don't like texting that much, so I like send a voice message right. like, "Hey, I'm just gonna call you." <laughs> like always trying to be in contact because you never know where life is gonna take mm-hmm. you, and I think never burn burn any bridges and Definitely. always be open to it. That's a great. I think that's a great attitude for <laughs> for any kind of area of our lives, yeah. especially in the world right now that is not necessarily that positive. So I think it's very important. To yeah. Do stay positive and supportive of each other yeah definitely in the arts we need to we need to have a positive community yeah (laughs) yeah so once again thank you so much i really appreciate you sharing all that knowledge and all your exciting projects with us i'll be following you i follow you on instagram (laughs) i'll continue following you on instagram and i'm very much looking forward to seeing your upcoming work and learning more about your residencies and that mushroom project yeah yeah awesome yeah and uh thanks for inviting me i'm excited to listen to it when it's ready (laughs) thank you for listening to the crazy bird podcast the crazy bird podcast is hosted by violetta kaminska our guest for this episode was minga opazo you can learn more about minga's work at mingaopazo.com and on instagram at mingaopazo Our theme music is inspired by Tambourine, by French composer François-Joseph Gosset. The improvisation is performed by Agnieszka Kowalik. Nature sounds are recorded by Violeta Kaminska. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by Violeta Kaminska.